Hello, humans. Hello, hello. Hello, humans of Minneapolis, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug, back. <laughs> no more of this Best of Ellie show. You have me back, and I'm thrilled to be back in the seat. I've got Brett Johnson, my great producer, here with me, and, and I'm just like... Biting, uh, chomping at the bit, biting at the apple, whatever you want to say it is, to be back here speaking to you. And so I had a great sabbatical. I was off for the month of July, uh, even though you did get a couple of good shows out of that that were new. Um, I did come in twice to do shows, but um, I took a sabbatical to write uh, my work on my second book. I'm thrilled to report that I was able to um, write more than 45,000 words in a month's period of time, which is pretty good. That book is titled Being Ellen. I hope that it's out by this time next year. We will see. Um, and I'm just uh, <clears throat> thrilled just to be back. Um, I encountered a number of people on my sabbatical who said, Ellie, we listen to your show. We want you back. And so here I am. Okay. So uh, remember, this show is about idealism. And we highlight idealists as well as um, um, we have a great show here because I'm going to talk about um, um, uh, somebody who could have been our very first black astronaut, but um, that did not happen because of racism. But then the big interview is with a, a woman named Julie Anna Richardson, uh, who is the founder and the executive director of The History Makers. Um, and I'll, you'll hear about that when we get to there. And then I've got the Block C where I'll talk about um, – a little bit of life experience and, and things going on. So to begin with, okay, last month while I was on my mini sabbatical, uh, we had the 50th anniversary of man's first moon landing. That happened on July 19th. That led me to reading about a man named Ed Dwight, uh, who was set to become America's first black color astronaut. Much of what follows is from a July 16th New York Times piece by Emily Ludolph, L-U-D-O-L-P-H, uh, Ludolph. Um, and so she wrote this wonderful piece about Ed Dwight. Um, some, uh, I'm giving you some also stuff from Wikipedia, but I'm going to assume that you've never heard of Ed Dwight. And if so, that's fully understandable because he was relegated to the back of the historical bus through no fault of his own, as usually is the case through discrimination. By all accounts, <clears throat> Ed Dwight has been a pioneer on many fronts. He was uh, very early in his life. He was the first black color person to graduate from uh, his Catholic high school in Kansas City. Later, he would graduate cum laude from Arizona State University with an aeronautics uh, degree. He then became one of the few black color jet pilots in the Air Force in the mid-1950s. And by all accounts, he was an excellent pilot, very smart, very charismatic as well, by the way, um, with movie star looks. And in the late 1950s and early 1960s, you may remember, well, most of you don't remember this, but some of you do, that America's space program was just forming. Um, it, wasn't doing, it wasn't going very well, but it got a real kick in the seat um, when um, in mid-1961, the Soviet Union put the first man in space. Um, that was a shock uh, for our country, and that led uh, President Kennedy to announce that um, he would um, – that the United States would land a man on the moon before the end of the 1960s. To do that, they needed an astronaut corps. Um, 
at the very same time all of this was happening, the civil rights movement was beginning to gel. And President Kennedy was determined uh, to make sure that the astronaut corps included at least one male of black color. Now, female, women were not even considered for the astronaut corps. Um, And by that time, Ed Dwight had been a captain in the Air Force and he was he stood out for his uh, flight abilities and, um, and his uh, technical skills. Eventually, um, uh, the NASA uh, reached out to um, uh, uh, Ed Dwight, and uh, he agreed to become, uh, at least to try and qualify to be an astronaut, and they sent him to Edwards Air Force Base in California, where he joined other astronauts in training. Um, at this point, um, uh, America knew that uh, there was the potential that we would have an astronaut. We'd have men on, on the moon by the end of the decade. And then the idea that maybe we might have a black color astronaut on the moon became uh, quite, um, quite sexy, for the lack of a better phrase. Um, and Ed Dwight became uh, very much in demand. Um, People wanted to hear from him across America. Now, remember, this is in the early 60s when the civil rights movement is just beginning, when people, there was still Jim Crow and segregation, uh, legal Jim Crow and uh, other segregation going on. And in the mid-1960s, so we're talking uh, late 62, um, excuse me, early 60s, late 62, early 63, Ed Dwight is giving speeches across America. In one year, he gave 176 speeches. That's like what I did last year as Ellie Krug, but I wasn't also training to be an astronaut at the same time. He had a secretary sending out 5,000 press photos a month, and he was getting 1,500 fan letters a day. So, I mean, you know, in many ways, it sounds like Ed Dwight, a person you never heard of, okay, was like one of today's megastars. Um, and remember, he's doing all of this while training to be an astronaut. While in training... Uh, That training was led by somebody's name you will be familiar with, um, for many of you, Colonel Chuck Yeager. Yeager was the first man who broke the sound barrier. He was the one who at Edwards Air Force Base was putting all of the astronaut recruits through the regimen. According to Ed Dwight, Chuck Yeager uh, made Ed Dwight's life very difficult. And that according to uh, Ed Dwight, Chuck Yeager constantly hounded Ed Dwight to quit. But Ed Dwight, being who he is, persevered, and he graduated from uh, training school at Edwards Air Force Base. Now, the next step then was for NASA to select from those who had graduated from Edwards to be um, part of the first class of astronauts. Um, And this happened, uh, the first pick, the first class of NASA astronauts was announced in October of 1963. There were 14 men chosen out of 271. Um, Ed Dwight was not one of those 14. Ed Dwight hoped, though, that maybe when they announced the next round of astronauts, um, he hoped at that point that maybe he would be part of the second class of astronauts to go into space, go, maybe go to the moon. And then, unfortunately, uh, barely a month after NASA announced its first class of astronauts, President Kennedy was assassinated. President Kennedy and his brother, Robert Kennedy, had been Ed Dwight's champions. 
And at that point, with the assassination of President Kennedy, Ed Dwight's um, political connections, his um, star power um, all went dark, went dark. And so after that, Ed Dwight was uh, sent to Ohio <laughs> to work at an Air Force base. Um, and by 1965, New York Times and Embedded Magazine and other journalists were kind of were starting to wonder what happened to Ed Dwight. Why was he no longer in serious consideration to be an astronaut? And they actually called on him. But Ed Dwight was tight-lipped um, about why he thought it was that NASA passed him over. And by the way, in case you're wondering um, about this, NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration that has a gazillion employees, a gazillion billion dollars part of America's budget, NASA didn't have its first black administrator until 2009. That may tell you something. In 1966, Dwight resigned his commission, and ultimately he pursued his, his career as a sculptor. And he's now, okay, so what he has done, what he did is he turned a lemon into lemonade, and he became an artist. And he's a nationally renowned sculpture, sculptor, uh, sculptor um, of historical African-American art, um, including monuments to the Underground Railroad. Um, you can find out about Ed Dwight by going to this website, www.thehistorymakers.org, um, which is uh, a website with oral histories of black colored Americans. And I'm going to, in the next segment, it all works out so well. I'm going to have the, the founder and, and ex, uh, executive director of The History Makers on the show. But you can go there and you can, and you can find out about Ed Dwight. And please do, because the interview of Ed Dwight is fascinating. He is charismatic. He is funny. And you know what? He tells, he tells it like it is. So Ed Dwight, a true story of an American perseverance, an American who kept trying, an American who was discriminated against. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. I hope you like what you hear. If you do, go visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Please follow me on Twitter. The handle is at Ellie Krug. When we come back, we'll do the big interview with Juliana Richardson. Thanks. I'm Dr. Thomas Adams, President and CEO of Better Futures Minnesota. We're a social enterprise dedicated to rebuilding lives through housing, workforce development, health and family engagement, and coaching supports that give men the skills and relationships they need to succeed. Better Futures Minnesota engages men who had a history of incarceration, homelessness, poverty, untreated mental and physical health challenges to help them achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. Visit us at betterfuturesminnesota.com to learn how you can support our enterprise. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. 
Thank you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on AM 950, Ellie Krug here, Ellie 2.0 Radio. Well, I'll tell you, Ed Dwight, um, you know, please, uh, as I said, go to uh, the History Makers, which we're going to talk a whole lot more about in a second, but go to their website and see the interview that he gave because he is just quite a charismatic um, person. And uh, that is an excellent segue into the big interview. We have on the line with us Juliana Richardson from The History Makers, a nonprofit that um, I'm going to have her explain to you further about in a second. But let me just tell you a little bit about Juliana. She is a graduate of Brandeis University out in Boston, as well as a graduate of Harvard Law School. She's got impeccable uh, pedigree right there. Um, But she is also very notable for a variety of things. She was awarded the 2014 Legacy Award from Black Enterprise Magazine and was profiled in 2014's American Masters, The Boomer List, which is a PBS documentary, um, and exhibit at the Museum in Washington, D.C. Juliana, are you on the line with us? Yes, I am. Hi, Ellie. So nice to be with you. Oh, well, welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio, and I'm just thrilled to have you. Um, We should probably give the audience just a little bit of background how we know each other. You and I uh, were on a panel a couple of months ago at a major, major law firm in downtown Chicago. We had never met each other before. That's right. But we were on this panel talking about diversity and inclusion along with a couple of other very big heavyweights. Me, I was a little lightweight. No, Um, that's not true, Ellie. And and um, but but you and I uh, kind of clicked. But most of all, I saw you as you spoke. I saw that you were an idealist. Actually, everyone on that panel was an idealist. But I I wanted to grab you. So welcome to Ellie Two Point Radio, Juliana. Let's just get it out of the way. You're the executive director of the History Makers. I talked very briefly about that um, in the first segment, talking about Ed Dwight. Can you tell us what is the History Makers? How did it come about? And uh, just please plug plug it the heck. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I also want to, I mean, we, we've grown to be the nation's largest African-American video oral history archive. And so we interview black people about their lives and the significance of what we're doing is that there's only been once in the history of the United States that there's been a massive attempt to record the black experience by the first voice. And that was with the WPA slave narrative. So that represents 19th century history. But there had been no attempt to record 20th century history. Um, and so we wanted, to, we wanted to make that our mission. And I say 20th, and as we move forward now, we're in the 21st century. <clears throat> so that, that's the purpose of the project. And so we... Um, we were very, I would say, at the beginning, I did not know as much about the Spielberg Shoah Foundation. But Steven Spielberg, after he did Schindler's List, 
decided that he was going to record the first person narratives of Holocaust survivors, the living and willing. Um, he did 52,000 interviews in five years. Holy so, cow. Okay. <laughs> so my name wasn't Steven Spielberg or Oprah Winfrey, but I had it as our desire uh, for lots of reasons that I could discuss of this history, not go by, by the wayside. Yep. And, you know, you mentioned Ed White. I remember I didn't interview him, but we had actually arrived in um, in Denver and he had been on our list, but he had not responded to our, our calls. This is in the early years of the project. And we, um, so we worked to interview a, a very famous theologian and civil rights activist named Dr. Vincent Harding, who has since passed away. Um, but he had forgotten that we were there and was out of town. So we reach, we reach Ed Dwight. And um, and so I came in, the, 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 the staff had set up, and the interview was in progress, and it, it rained like rain like cats and dogs, but everything was quiet. And there he was in the interview, and I just witnessed the most amazing, amazing interview um, and really have gotten to know Ed White. And he was the first... Um, person to be trained as an astronaut. Right. Um, it was under yeah. the Kennedy administration, I'm sure. He told your viewers, but we're just just pleased to have him. And he's an amazing sculptor to be sitting in his his uh, studio that's a, a former airport hangar and surrounded by all this artwork and his creativity and hearing his story was just amazing. So we've done, um, we've done actually, Ellie, we've done um, over 3,200 interviews wow. and, and 413 cities and towns across the United States and have even traveled to Norway and to Mexico and the Caribbean. Uh, Norway, we interviewed Anne Brown, who was the first best and Porgy and Bess on Broadway, who had moved to um, moved there in the 1940s and, and married an Olympic ski champion. And then in Mexico, uh, we interviewed Elizabeth, the famous sculptor Elizabeth Catlett, who has since you know, passed away. And then in the Caribbean, we interviewed a Trans-Africa uh, fellow lawyer, but the founder of Trans Africa, Randall Robinson. Okay. And so we um, we we've uh, the collection is ten thousand hours of testimony. Um, the oldest person interviewed in the collection was a woman named Louisiana Hines, who was a a World War II Rosie the Riveter. Okay. Um, and she was one hundred and four at the time of interview, one hundred nine at the time of her death. And then the youngest um, is uh, a prima ballerina uh, named Aisha McMillan, who now uh, teaches and works in, in North Carolina. Um, the other thing about the collection and the significance is that there just has not been a lot of recording. And a lot of our content in the collection is, you know, one-of-a-kind content. And, and as each day passes... Um, uh, that we become woefully more aware of that um, because uh, up to this point, about 680 of our history makers have passed away. And, um, and, then, and most of them um, have never been featured in a biography or had an autobiography written about them. 
Um, and this remains the only, you know, major account of their lives. So, and, so and the, um, sorry, go ahead. I, go on. Well, I was just going to relay for the listeners that I, when I, we were in Chicago on the panel, you, you showed a video of several different interviews. And really what my takeaway from it was is that it was a lot of um, all-black-colored humans who were talking about what it, what it has been like to live in a country where whiteness is, you know, the, uh, the supremacy of, of, the, of the society. And I, um, I didn't say that very accurately, but, but my takeaway was that these were humans talking about what it was like to be them. And I thought that that was just the most important, fascinating thing that anyone could, could have. Am I that's, wrong on that? That's right. That's right. Um, that is, um, that's exactly right. Um, there's a lot of uh, sense, and what struck me about doing that video um, that day and going into the collection, because we have not spent a lot of time using the collection ourselves, and what struck me is, you know, we were talking about diversity and people's experience and, not, you know, lawyers' experience in non-diverse places like corporations and law firms. And the, the diversity of the story and the passion which people spoke, um, there was Demetrius Carney saying that, you know, he, ha he actually had, had his own black law firm, very successful law firm at the time. And then he um, comes in and um, he's, you know, he goes in to see, you know, his, I guess, a gathering. And he, and he talks about, going back into his office and put, you know, putting his head in his hands because he saw a sea of whiteness and what that meant, you know, and, and, um, and thinking, okay, I've made this big mistake. Um, and so I think that, you know, but it's a passion which people are telling the stories and that, that resonates over and over again. I mean, we have so many stories, so many things that, are not necessarily um, top of mind, you know, when people think of the black experience. And, you know, and that's why your comments, Allie, also resonated uh, with me. Um, because, you know, you talked about being other, you know, yeah. and, um, and that is what, and why it resonated with me, because I felt other, and for the most part of my life. Yeah. And so that was, but to hear someone who has a different experience, but also, you know, who actually had experience as the person, you know, in society, and then grew to be an other. And I, th I found it to be very profound. Well, thank you. Juliana, we're going to have to take a break right now, but we'll come back. Um, and we want to talk more with you. Uh, listeners, we've been speaking with uh, Juliana Richardson, who's the executive director of The History Makers. Uh, I'll get her to give you the website when we come back for the segment afterwards. Um, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on AM 950. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. 
Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. At Better Futures Minnesota, we transform the lives of men and support Minnesota's environment by working towards zero waste. Our approach reaffirms each man's dignity and supports self-sufficiency. Better Futures Minnesota is a work training model. Through our reuse, retail warehouse, and supervised work crews with specialized in residential and commercial building deconstruction, property maintenance, appliance recycling, and janitorial services, we demonstrate ways to employ hire-to-employ men on a pathway to independence. Hire our work crews at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. And we're back on AM 950. Ellie Krug here with Ellie 2.0 Radio. Um, listeners, we've been speaking with Juliana Richardson, who is the executive director as well as the founder of the History Makers. Juliana, before we forget, let, will you give my listeners um, the uh, website address for the History Makers? Sure. Our website address is www.thehistorymakers. That's plural S on both sides, uh, .org. So www.thehistorymakers.org. And our phone number also is 312-674-1900. Great, great. And and listeners, they have a a great website, for example. All you have to do is go, and if you want to know about somebody who is black-colored, who is in America, whether their biography is there, they've got a, they have a a table of contents where you can go, and then you can just do a search. So if you want to see that Ed Dwight video, all you have to do is just Google in or type in Ed Dwight into the search box and you'll get that phenomenal video um, uh, interview. Juliana, um, let's talk uh, a little bit about you, okay? Um, yes. Because, you know, the, it, it was, as I said, sitting in the panel a couple of months ago in Chicago where you and I were on that panel, it was very clear to me that you're an idealist. Now, you, you're here. You did not get to running a nonprofit, particularly a nonprofit breaking the kind of ground that the history makers is breaking, you didn't get here directly. You started out the traditional path going to law school and trying to be a lawyer. Do I have that right? That's absolutely right. Um, I I would say, um, though there's a little backstory to that, in that I um my I really wanted a career in theater and that was not my my father's dream for me. He always wanted to be a lawyer. So in law school I was always always looking for non-traditional things for lawyers to do but you know became went on that path at the beginning and decided pretty early 
that, well, it was just my experience in the law firm. You know, my my skill sets were being challenged. And so I was like, well, I didn't want to be a lawyer in the first place. So I have a pretty eclectic background after I left uh, Jenner and Block. I, um, I went with the city and became the, um, a cable, the cable administrator for the city when they were franchising. And then that went. Um, I left there and politics sent me out and then I was doing a little consulting and then started a home shopping channel, which these days people come to break, start going screech, (laughs) right? especially in academic circles. When I talk to people, they're like, whoa. And then, um, and then, um, you know, I lost my shirt on my home shopping channel, was managing several cable channels, and then the city took over those channels, and that left me at sitting at my dining room table really confused for the first time in my life about what would be my life's path. I mean, very confused. And I was one who never had a five-year plan. So, you know, being a little flexible and, you know, you know and maybe artistic in my approach, I was fine, but this was not fine at that point. I was just not, you know, I couldn't go back to a law firm at that time. There wasn't really jobs in cable television. How old, for me how, at old, that how, time. old how old were you at that point? I was in my mid forties. Okay. And, All right. and Allie. And the, and the other thing is that several of my friends at that time, that was the time during HIV had died of AIDS. And, and I just, you know, the thing is, is I was really thinking I didn't have children. I started to think about what my legacy would be, what would be my leap mm. behind. That became increasingly mm. important to me. What what would I what would what would it say that I had come and been on this earth? Right. And and so I that's what I started to think about. And so I found my leap behind. Um, you know, but it was I'm telling I found my leap behind because Actually, a friend of mine had be, had gotten a job as head of the cable television bureau, and I and she was saying maybe she would hire me. And so I'm thinking, because my parents are like, "Where is your job? You're a Harvard trained lawyer. You need to have a job." And I, um, but I had been also looking at this this possibility. Um, the possibility of something of, like the history makers of, of the, something like yep. the history makers, because I had actually um, what happened is I, my mother gave me a trip to, to Memphis and to visit my sister. But there was also the National Bar Association conference and I had been there. And at that time, Clarence Thomas had just been appointed. And Judge Leon Higginbotham, who I loved and adored, was railing against him. And during that, so this idea is percolating in my head. I don't even know about this Gilbert Shaw Foundation at this point, but it's percolating in my head. And I would talk to people about it, but they'd get a little, you know, like crazy look because I had done oral histories as a young college student. And I remember it like it was yesterday because I was in New York Schomburg's library and I'm listening time just wild about Harry and realizing for the first time that it was written by a black songwriting team of Noble Sissel and Ubi Blake in the 1921 production of Shuffle Along on Broadway. And... The fact that that, because I grew up in a a little town 
um, called Newark, Ohio, which there were only a thousand blacks out of 50,000 whites. And so the teacher had asked us back then when I was nine years old to talk about who our, you know, who was our family background. And literally everybody said they were part German, part Italian, part French. And I was like, who was I? And I lied. I said I was, you know, Negro. I don't even think I would have said African. And I, you know, I said I was um, Native American because most black people think they have Native American. And then I added in French because everybody had all these eclectic backgrounds. And so that feeling, I felt like the teacher knew I had lied. And Hmm. that feeling of not knowing stayed with me until I was in that day in New York Schomburg's library, listening, I'm just wild about Harry. And, and I like, I found myself. That's all I can say. I found myself that day. And I took my little tape recorder around the streets of Harlem. I was staying at a apartment of a, a friend of my father's very serious about my research and i interviewed butterfly mcqueen who was starred and gone with the wind miss charlotte she was speaking with that little tinny voice you know she was working up in harlem had no money at that point though she had made five thousand dollars a week and gone with the wind but that had been her one moment in the sun and then you know lee whipper who was the oldest living black actor at the time and tap dancer honey coles and and uh historian john henry clark all those interviews were being poured into me and it had to have had a profound impact on me to be in my 40s with no job and decide that's what I wanted to do. Well, and then you went and I mean, you you single-handedly, of course you have a board of directors now, but you single-handedly um, conceived of the idea of the history makers and then you went out and fundraised. I mean, what you yes. I think you said you you had a you got 11 million dollars to get the history makers off the ground and go do all these interviews, these no, oral I histories? Wish, no, no, it wasn't like that. We raised, uh, no, we've raised money. We've raised a total of 30, like maybe $35 million to okay. date. That, but, but we, that's but a lot we, of money. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of money, but it's been raised by a lot of effort. I probably, you know, have worked, you know, seven days oh, a week sure. for the last almost 19 years. But... I feel that, you know, I, I I had to have lived a passionate life. I mean, I talk about that all the time. You know, I, life for me, a nine to five was never going, was never in my DNA. I needed to make hmm. something happen. And while the fundraising, though it sounds like a lot of money in archival circles, you know, people refer to me as entrepreneurial. But we we were not grant funded, so I had to figure out a way through event fundraising to really raise the money for the initiative. But the thing is, is that archives, they, they, they sound old and dusty, but I wanted to have something that was a, a now a neat archive. Our archive is a digital archive. Yep. It's, it's now housed permanently at the Library of Congress. Oh, my goodness. Um, yep. It gives voice to people whose voices would have been, you know, silence. And and I just, you know, and and it's been a pleasure to the extent for the interviews that I have done to sit down with people for three to six hours at a time, you know, and have people pour their stories back into us. You learn so much. Well, and I think that the thing that struck me when you were talking earlier is that these are folks who, whose stories would otherwise never have been told, That's right. you know, and who, whom we would never know. And, 
You know, and this goes back to, uh, you know, my idea that we're all attempting to survive the human condition, regardless of the color of our skins or who we love or, or any of those other silly things that we use to distinguish each other. Juliana, let me, I mean, your dad was a lawyer. Um, no, and, my father wasn't a lawyer. Oh, he I'm sorry. He wanted to be he a wanted lawyer. He wanted to be a lawyer. Sorry about and that. And he would have, he, had it been another time, he would have been a great lawyer. Oh, sure. I, mm-hmm. So tell me, I mean, what? What gets you, what, we've got two minutes left. What keeps you ticking as an idealist? What, I mean, we, we both know it's a tough time to be an idealist in America. So what, what keeps you going? What keeps me going is that I really believe that we're in a moment of time, a moment of time that is for lots of us a very scary time. You know, but I used to think, that, you know, I remember thinking about the Holocaust and thinking, like, could the Germans have been, how could they have let that happen? But we see in the current time how that could be. But I I spend a lot of time in the archives. I mean, I and, and I just think that the human spirit is a resilient one <laughs> and that we will overcome this. Um and that we should look from a historical lens always to learn about what we should do for the present and the future. Well, you, know? you and I have in common the idea that humans are resilient. I actually happen to believe that almost all humans have good, empathetic hearts. It's just that we are so afraid. That's, That's all. That's right. That's right. Well, That's right. Well, Juliana, I just, um, I just want you to know... Um, I, I so respect you for what you have done. I mean, uh, listeners, in the nonprofit world, to create something out of nothing and then to get it housed in the Library of Congress is like climbing Mount Everest in, uh, you know, running shorts and, and with a, t- a T-shirt. I mean, Juliana, you have done really an incredible job and a wonderful service to our to our country, um, with creating the history makers and without and with going and speaking and being who you are and, and sharing what you have on this show. So I just want to tell you, I am so appreciative of that. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you for the opportunity to shine a light on our work, and thank you also for the life that you have lived. Oh well, are living. You're welcome. You're welcome. So give us the website one last time. It is. It's www thehistorymakers.org. And we have our digital archive now that makes everything that's in the Library of Congress accessible um, online. Okay, via your website, right? Via our website. Okay, well, that's great. Well, Juliana, thank you for being on LE 2.0 Radio. Um, I wish you the best of luck. Listeners, we've been speaking with Juliana Richardson, the founder and executive director of The History Makers. Go to her website. Make sure, go check it out. And, um, and by the way, if you like what this show is, uh, please visit my website at elliekrug.com. Um, follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. At Better Futures Minnesota, we believe everyone deserves a fair shot. We believe in personal redemption and second chances, and that those who are dedicated to change and hard work should have the opportunity to achieve success and make a positive impact in the community. The men we embrace and serve have made mistakes, but they aren't bad people. We work with men who take responsibility for their past and are committed to doing better, who work to create a better life for themselves, their family, and the community. 
Learn more at betterfuturesminnesota.com. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. And we're back on LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Juliana Richardson, oh yeah, um, idealist. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, over here on this side of uh, the microphone, I started to tear up a little bit as she told the story about taking that tape recorder and going through Harlem. And what she was doing is she was finding her voice, finding her authenticity. Um, and one of the things about idealists is that once we, once we have that chord, there's no going back. Once you know what it's like to, to, to be an idealistic, authentic human trying to make a difference in the world, you just can't put that genie back in the bottle. And um, that's obviously what Juliana Richardson showed us in her interview. So please go visit the, uh, the History Makers. I'm going to assume most of you have never even heard of that website or that organization. Please go. All right, <clears throat> we're in the C block right now um, where I talk about my work, about some thoughts I have about what's going on in the world and all of that stuff. And remember, this show is taped. Um, so I'm taping this show on August 5th, on the Monday after the bloody weekend um, that we had in America with the shooting in El Paso and then the shooting in Dayton, Ohio. Though I think I don't even think 12 hours separated those two mass shootings. And right now in America, we are reeling and we're talking about white supremacy and we're talking about hatred in America and all of that stuff. And uh, I will tell you, I think things, um, for many people, things are looking pretty dark. And I, what I want to say to you, um, listeners, is don't run there. Please do not let fear overtake you. Because when we let fear into our lives, when we let fear control us, we start doing dumb, crazy things. And the, all that you have to do is to make sure that you don't be afraid. And I, I think I've talked about this in other C-blocks, but boy, I mean, we just keep getting this stuff that obviously would be easy to make people afraid. Remember what I say is that I do believe, as I said earlier, um, that 98% of all humans have good empathetic hearts. We do. We're afraid to exercise them at times or we're not paying attention, but we do have good empathetic hearts. You know, my sabbatical last, uh, ended last week, and I went to Beloit, um, Wisconsin, 
and Rock Valley, Illinois. They're, Rock Valley is right over the uh, state border from Beloit. I went and spoke. Now, um, I went. Um, uh, the first talk was to a Unitarian church in Rock Valley. You know, and it's all white, older, white-colored people in the audience. But you know what? They got it. They understood about the need to keep their hearts open and to not be afraid. And, and I mean, this is a small town, Rock Valley. I don't even know if it has 2,000 people. It's a small town. It's in greater, Minnesota, greater the greater Midwest. And these people welcomed me, me, other human. And the next day I trained at a company in Beloit. I think trained all, all together about 80 people. Um, for the most part, all white-colored people. Um, and you know what? I mean, remember, I'm transgender. You sound, you hear what sounds like a man's voice on the radio, but if you're on Facebook right now, you're looking at a chick with bright red lipstick, hoping that it doesn't look too garish, wearing a dress and long blonde hair. And you know what? The people in Beloit at that company, they didn't care. They reacted to the training in a very, very positive way. I mean... I had somebody come up and say to me, this is the best training I've ever gone through. And why do I share that with you? I share it with you because we in America do have the ability to be open and welcoming to people who are other. We do. But we have to be willing to get into that uncomfortable place of what am I going to say? You know, what if, you know, what if my eyes give me away because of the way somebody looks or makes a statement. You know, we have that kind of bumpy fear area where we're just worried about being judged or doing the wrong thing. And very often when people have all of that fear, what they do is they, you know, they, they isolate, they run away, they don't want to engage. But you know what? When we engage, wonderful things happen. When I was in Beloit, I, I asked uh, uh, the audience, uh, part of the, one of the trainings had about 45 people in the room, and I said, who here has ever sat next to a stranger and struck up a conversation and then found something that they had in common with that stranger or that it was you know, a pleasant experience or, oh my goodness, I want to continue to communicate with, you, with me. And out of 45 people, I think almost everybody raised their hand. And that, that's the reality when we can put our fears aside, when we can just simply sit and, and, and be open and be willing to listen and, and to learn from somebody and, and to be willing to imagine, oh my goodness, maybe you could be my friend. Wonderful things happen. They do. But we have to get past the fear. You know, I, I'm going to start. I mean, I'm back on the circuit, Ellie. I'm, I'm going to speak all over America between now and December. Um, in rural America, in, in urban America, I'll be speaking in Hastings in November. I'll talk about that on another show. Um, and you know what? I'm just doing it. I'm just going and I'm going to show up because I'm an idealist, because I believe in the goodness of humans. Because I believe in the goodness of America and what it stands for. And because I have faith. I do. Notwithstanding all of this horror that we had this weekend, I have faith that we can be good to each other. Please remember that. Reach out to me if you'd like to. Email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Um, 
you don't, if, and, and if you're afraid, please email me. I'd be happy to send you some thoughts about how not to be afraid. All right, well, that's it. Uh, wraps up the show. I want to give a big thanks to my uh, producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are always great. A big thanks to our sponsors, Brending Electrolysis. Let Bev know that I told you to go because Bev does great work. And then to my second sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. Um, please, I'd love to have more sponsors. So if you have an idea that you want to run a company or a business and you want to sponsor LA 2.0 because you believe in idealism, please do. And to you, my listeners, I'm back. You got me. We've got some good shows coming up. Remember, okay, I'm here for you. I care about you. Go forward. Do the right thing. Be good to each other. Bye.